Welcome to the Maranatha Baptist Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this class from our Equip Ministry will be a blessing to you and will grow your love for Jesus Christ. We would encourage you to use it only as a supplement to your regular intake of God's Word in your local church. If you need help connecting with a local church, please reach out to us on our website, mbcgrimes.org. All right, so we're on chapter 9, and we're going to start by uh, reviewing a little bit from uh, last lesson. Uh, in the two no chapters, uh, we first learned how to ask good questions, um, how to get beyond just yes or no answers, but actually draw information out of people. And then last week's lesson was how to categorize that information. So anybody remember the four categories? If you did your, your homework, they might be, might be more fresh on your mind. But what are the four categories of information that we talked about in chapter 8? Anybody remember? Or if you can remember one of them, that's great too. Situation. Okay, good. Situation. So that's kind of the broader picture of what's going on in the scenario. Responses. Good. How they're, what, what are they doing? How are they acting in response to what's going on? Good. What else? Thoughts. Thoughts. There we go. Excellent. Motives, yeah. So getting all the way down to the, the heart there. Excellent. And we helped Sharon last week. Do you remember helping Sharon last week? Yeah. Made up Sharon, of course. Uh, all right, so from your uh, homework, hopefully those two ideas came forth as you were thinking through uh, categorizing information, situation, response, thoughts, motives, um, and specifically how as you categorize those things and you can understand what people are thinking and then beneath that what it is that they're desiring, their motives, that's when we're able to then give biblical help, biblical wisdom. Um, we're not just putting a band-aid on the surface level, right, but we're actually helping them change, helping them process through heart change. And so that's what today's lesson gets into is once we've gathered information, once we've tried to, our best to understand where they're coming from and categorize that information, uh, we then have the opportunity to speak. And how do we speak in a loving, biblical way? So that's the title of tonight's lesson, Speaking the Truth in Love. It's a uh, phrase you're familiar with out of Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, and we know that, you know, we're, we're to be honest and speak the truth. It's doing it in love. That can be the difficult one sometimes. Um, and so we'll think a little bit about that tonight. Let's see here. Getting into our lesson, uh, let me go over these concepts and objectives. First of all, uh, confrontation needs to be rooted in the comfort and call of the gospel. So it's not that just the truth, but the truth with love. And uh, he's going to specifically focus in on gospel truth, gospel love and how the gospel really helps us to give people hope and power to change as we work with them. Uh, personalize. This means we must examine our lives, my life. Do the promises, provisions, and obligations of the gospel shape my living? So we really can't speak well into other people's lives unless we're applying these truths to our lives ourselves. Uh, and so that's an important step in that process. And then finally, related to others, 
As we seek to help others examine themselves in the mirror of God's word, we must be encouraged, uh, must be committed to encouraging and comforting them with the gospel. We'll talk about those two ideas, how the gospel uh, both comforts our hearts, God is willing to forgive our sins, but then it also calls us to do something. So we don't just we don't just remain stationary in our forgiven state. The gospel calls us to change and to live, and it actually empowers us to do so by the presence of God's Spirit in us. All right. The idea of confronting someone or, or rebuking someone uh, doesn't always have positive connotations, does it? Uh, both for the one doing the confrontation. I mean, maybe there are a few of us that just love to confront people, right? Just... I just get excited about telling people where they're wrong. Anybody in the room like that? Okay, well, don't confess right now. But uh, there may be some people that are like that, but most of us kind of are timid to have to rebuke or confront somebody. And then if you're receiving the confrontation or the rebuke, I mean, this is not the kind of thing you wake up in the morning excited is going to happen today, right? You know, I hope somebody rebukes me today. That's just the kind of day I want to have today, right? We don't, we don't tend to think that way. Um, However, we step back from a strong word like rebuke, hopefully, as believers, we do have a desire, even when we get up in the morning, to grow today, right? That, that the Lord today would help me to see where I need to change, how I can become more like Christ. I think, I think hopefully we would put it in those terms. I would love to make progress in my walk with God today. I would love to become more like Jesus today. Well, Maybe if we can focus on that desire, rebuke and confrontation are not so harsh, and all of a sudden they become a helpful means to the end of becoming more like Christ, and of becoming more uh, in the image of Him. Because when people help to point out our sin, we have that opportunity to grow. And so there really is a positive way to look at it. Uh, so let's think through kind of a process for confrontation. How do we walk through this process of confrontation? Let's go to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, and we're going to look at a couple verses there that will help us with the process of confrontation. Second Corinthians 5, and uh, actually maybe we'll just read... We'll read verses 20 and 21. It says this, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So a few things to note about this passage. First is that we are ambassadors. We have the chance to serve as God's representatives in a situation. And this is key to remember as we start out. When we speak into people's lives, what they need is not our opinions, right? They don't need me swooping in and saying, well, your life would be better if you just live Lance's way. No, 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 no. That's not at all what people need. Trust me, it'd probably get worse if that's the advice I bring. But I come as God's representative. So what's God's truth mean for their life? What, is, what would God say in this scenario in Christ? And uh, we come as his representatives, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So the goal is reconciliation with God. As we come to speak truth in someone's life, it's not even to prove. Like sometimes we want to come in and just prove how wrong they were, right? Just try to get them to say, okay, you were right, I was wrong. You know, that can be our ulterior motive sometimes. But no, no, the goal is actually to be reconciled with God. 
I went, this person, if they've sinned, who cares whether they sinned against me? That's not a big deal. I'm not the holy one here. God's the holy one. So if they sinned against God, that's what needs to be fixed and restored. And if I have the opportunity to be God's ambassador, God's helper, because Christ paid for their sin, I can speak to them with urgency and passion and love that says, be reconciled to God. It's been paid for. There's one who's done this for you. So why live in your sin any longer? Turn back to him, right? So there's a lot of beautiful gospel truth, even in a verse like this. Verse 21, why can we be so passionate? For he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's reconciliation right there. God gave our sin to Jesus and gave Jesus righteousness to us so that we can freely be reconciled to God, right? And so this is why it's such a passionate call be reconciled to God because it's been paid for. I mean, think of the incredible exchange that God made so that you and I could be reconciled to God. We could have peace with God. So we get to be his ambassadors, ambassadors of peace. I mean, it's a really an exciting job when you think of it in those terms, right? Take, take away the word rebuke or confrontation, and you realize we're, we're just like gospel messengers. Jesus has paid for your sin. Don't turn away from him any longer. Turn to him. Be reconciled to God, right? It's just a, actually a really exciting thing to call people to do uh, because of what Christ has done. So this is kind of what our role is as his ambassadors, these gospel messengers calling people to be reconciled to God. So continuing on in your notes here, we must approach truth speaking in personal ministry as God's representatives. Next, as God's representatives, we must be careful not to combine what God has said with what we've always wanted to say. <laughs> really easy to be like, let me take you to this verse. This is the Gospel of Lance. And I've been meaning to tell you this for quite a while. We just like to kind of, you know, uh, insert our own wisdom or opinion about how they've been acting. But here's where sticking with the Word of God is really important. And... Uh, we often want to preach law to people. We want them to feel, you know, we want to do everything we can to make them to feel horrible, to punish them uh, over their sin. That's really not our job. Our, God is, our, our job is to speak the word of God, right? The Spirit brings conviction. The Spirit brings repentance. The Spirit brings progress in sanctification. And so we're God's ambassadors speaking the truth of the gospel and the word of God. Uh, in rebuke, we want to incarnate the love of Christ by helping people see themselves in the mirror of God's word and calling them to accept responsibility for sins of their heart and behavior. I love that idea of a mirror because this, again, takes a lot of the pressure off of rebuke. Uh, to be able to go to somebody and to just say, hey, can, I, can we just open the word together? Can I show you something? And we look at the scriptures together, and I can trust the scriptures that when we you know, come to a passage that says, uh, speak the truth to one another, for you are members of one another, Ephesians 4.25, I can trust the word of God to do its work in their hearts. And if they don't quite see it yet, then I can start asking questions. Tell me, when you said this the other day, how do you think that aligns with verse 25, right? And the mirror of scripture can help to open their eyes to see what's going on and what actually happened. And so it's a wonderful resource uh, to be able to use the Word of God in those scenarios. 
So here's what a process could look like. Number one, we start with ourselves. If we're going to speak as ambassadors, we affirm that biblical truth speaking always begins with dealing with our own heart. Here's the hard truth. Whatever the Lord might give you opportunity to confront in someone else's life, the, the roots of that same sin are present in your heart. So you may not have committed the same action. You might have done the exact same thing. You might have said the same words. But the root of that sin is present in your heart as well. And so we often have to start by preaching this gospel truth to ourselves that I come to you as an ambassador, not one who's like righteous looking down on you, but as one who's been forgiven by Christ. My sin was put on Christ and I was given his righteousness and I've been reconciled to God. Please, you be reconciled to God too. And so we come as fellow sinners and that first step of recognizing it, where can I find the same tendencies in my own heart? The same sinfulness is present in me, uh, and we can always find it. And maybe there are other things we need to find as well, but starting with our own hearts is really important. This is crucial, especially if the sin the person has committed against God has splashed up on us and affected us. One of the key things you're going to want to work on your own heart before you go to somebody in confrontation is bitterness and anger. Because typically, if you're a friend of this person and they've been sinning, their sin has hurt you. That's just what sin does. And if you're close with people, if you have a relationship with people, you will be hurt by their sin against God. That's just life. Don't take it personally, right? Sin is against God. But take some time to settle your heart before the Lord, to put down the anger and bitterness, right? Rid your heart of those things. Then you can come to them in love. And that's a crucial part of the process because, man, my anger and bitterness has come out so many times. I think I've got it under control. And then I go to tell this person about what they've done and their sin. And all of a sudden, my volume is increasing and my tone of voice is getting a little sharper. And uh, they're kind of like, uh, <laughs> what's going on here? And I have a moment of self-perception. I realize, oh, I'm getting angry with them right now. That's not gospel-rooted confrontation here. That's just my own personal vendetta, okay? We come as God's ambassadors, and so we have to work on our own hearts first. Number two, understand why people need to be confronted. What's the real problem here? Sometimes uh, it is that there's deceit, the deceitfulness of sin. I'll put four things up here. Uh, they're in the book. I don't think you have them in the printed notes, but... Uh, is it because they've been blinded by their sin? They just don't see it yet. Right? Sometimes we get so angry with people. How can they have done that and not even feel bad about it? Well, there's a real thing called spiritual blindness. And recognizing that allows us to come into these conversations with a little bit more patience. And say, I have certainly been blind to my sin in my own life. Let me help you see something that you're just not aware of. The, the smudge of chocolate on your face as you say, you didn't eat the chocolate cake, right? Um, let me help you see. Look in the mirror. See the cake right there? Yeah, it's okay. The Lord forgives you. Let's get right with Him. Uh, and so we help one another in those moments. 
other things, wrong biblical thinking. So that's where our thinking's twisted and we need the truth of God's word to set us right. Emotional thinking. Sometimes that involves just helping the person calm down. Uh, they're, they're mentally, they're process every, processing everything through anger. Or sometimes grief is one that can really affect our thinking. Can't, we're not processing things quite right. And so having a friend to help us in those moments. And then generally our view of life. We've just adapted a twisted view of life that needs to be corrected by Scripture. Number three, we speak with God's goals in view. We speak with God's goals in view. Uh, so to be used as God's instrument of change, of confrontation, uh, we want to help them see what is going on. He calls this being an instrument of seeing. So we're helping their eyes be opened to what they're doing, where the sin is, and we rely on Scripture to help us do this. The second goal of confrontation is to be used of God as an agent of repentance. So not only to see what's wrong, but then also to turn from it. To recognize, yeah, that was wrong and I don't want that in my life anymore. I'm ready to turn away from that and to turn to Christ. Um, so those are kind of two goals. Look briefly with me at Joel chapter 2. I do want to read those two verses. Joel chapter 2. And uh, I'll read verses 12 and 13 for us. Now therefore says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and He relents from doing harm. That's just a beautiful Old Testament call to repentance. And uh, sometimes we can do all these outward things, you know, the tearing of the garments, but what he says here is, no, actually rend your heart. In your heart, sorrow over your sin and turn back to God. Uh, draw near to Him once again. And I love the way it closes with the statement of God's character. Uh, he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. He relents from doing harm. God is defined by mercy and forgiveness. He longs to uh, be at peace with us. And so we call people to repent. And there's such encouragement in the character of God, right? As we work with people, the gospel puts it on display. How do you think God's going to respond if you turn to him in repentance? Well, the scriptures are obvious. He's a forgiving God. He's a kind God. And so it's actually really exciting to share this with people when you call them to repent because you get to highlight the beautiful character of God. He's a God who forgives. He's a God of mercy uh, and grace. Uh, all right, so we try to do this through the things we say. That's our message, the way we say them, our methods, and, the, and even our attitude. That's our character. So we're ambassadors of Christ in our message, our methods, and our character. And if, if you remember, you may recognize those three things. Those will go all the way back, I think, to chapter 4, one of the early chapters in the book, talking about how we're ambassadors for Christ and we represent Him in those three ways, His message, His methods, and His character. All right, next we talk about the gospel. Don't leave the gospel at the door. A mistake we often make as we seek to lead someone to repentance is to emphasize law over gospel. But notice the emphasis of these verses. First, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, Romans 2, 4. 
It's the love of Christ that compels us to live no longer for ourselves, but to live for Him. 2 Corinthians 5.14 As we confront people, we need to remind them of their identity in Christ. 1 John 3, 1-3 We remind them of God's promise of forgiveness. 1 John 1, 5-10 We remind them the amazing gift of the indwelling Spirit. Ephesians 3.20 The one who gives us strength to obey. These are powerful truths when seeking to help somebody get right with God and repent of their sin. Uh, The gospel is what gives us that fuel to do that. Christ died for me. I want to live for him, right? It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Uh, So yeah, if you don't have, uh, you could circle these in your text. These are incredibly helpful texts of scripture to go to with people as you're trying to help them see their sin, trying to encourage them with gospel truth. Uh, These are such encouraging verses. We don't have time to read them all tonight, but jot them down. They're they're beneficial. We will go to Romans chapter 8 together. That's our next slide. Romans chapter 8. Two sides of the gospel. Two sides of the gospel. So again, you can turn your Bibles to Romans 8. In verses 1 through 11, we're going to notice, first of all, the comfort of the gospel. And you see it already there in verse 1, right? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So he goes on in verses 1 through 11 and describes how the Spirit is our help, gives us the ability to say no to the flesh, to say no to sin, right? We have that strength, we have that power, we have God's help to do that. And all the way down into verse 10 and 11, right? Uh, Verse 11 says this, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal body through His Spirit who dwells in you. We have God's help. We have God's power to say no to sin. And there's no condemnation for us now that we're in Christ Jesus. So that's the comfort of the gospel. Two things that we notice First of all, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ has removed the sentence of condemnation that was on our heads. You could call this forgiveness. That's the good news, the comfort. We're forgiven in Christ. Uh, and so that's super encouraging. Number two, it also comforts us with the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. We don't need to be controlled by our sin nature. We don't have to give in to sin any longer. We have the power of the one who raised Christ from the dead to say no to sin. And so that's encouraging. The Spirit has come to give us life, power, and the desire and ability to obey God. So we're not under condemnation, and we also have the power to do what is right. How cool is that? That's comforting news from the gospel, which encourages us, even when we're in our sin, to turn back to Christ and to live for Him again. All right, so a quick uh, discussion opportunity here. Uh, As we think of these two things, comfort number one, we are forgiven, no condemnation. Comfort number two, we have the Holy Spirit. What other Bible passages can you think of that talk about forgiveness or the work of the Holy Spirit that have been encouraging to you? Uh, And so if you have a pen, it's a good time to jot down what people answer here. I will put some answers on the board in just a moment or on the screen. Uh, But let's start with uh, what you have. What passages have been encouragement to you about forgiveness 
or about the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life? Anybody have any that come to mind? Yeah, Rob. 1 John 1.9. Excellent. Excellent. 1 John 1.9. Good one to jot down. What else? Okay. Psalm 133 and 4. I don't have those memorized. That's okay. Okay, good. So the verse is about forgiveness and the fear of the Lord. Yeah, good. Good. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Good. What else? Yep, that's right. Psalm 103. What else? Yeah. Excellent. Yep. Good. Did you have another, Maria? Yeah, I like Yep. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. Excellent. Yeah, good. Excellent. Good. Here are a few more that you can jot down if you'd like. Passages on forgiveness and the Holy Spirit. Uh, I don't know if these are in the book. I didn't check that. Are they, do you have those in the book? No. no? Okay. So feel free to jot those down if you want. But yeah, having passages of Scripture to go to, not just so that it's you, know, you verbally telling them, remember, God forgives you your sin, but man, to read a verse... Uh, that God has removed our sin as far as the east is from the west, or, you know, other good ones that were, were mentioned here. It's encouraging to hear it from the Word of God. Oh, it's true, God can forgive me. And not only that, He gives me the power now to do what is right, uh, to serve Him and to live for Him. Uh, and so just having some verses in your arsenal that are helpful. But I would encourage you, even there especially, have verses that God has used in your life. So these are really great. And maybe if you go to them and study them, God will use them in your life, which is super great. But have verses that God has used in the past with you. Because then, you can, when you share with somebody, you can say, Oh man, one time I was weighed down by my sin. And I remember reading this verse and it was such an encouragement to me. And so then we're kind of going back to uh, the, the, the love chapter where we relate to people with our stories. Remember that? Uh, we are able to share with them what we've experienced. All right. Did I give you enough time to get some of these down? Most of them down? Handful? All right, I can go back to the slide at the end if you didn't have a chance to get most of these down. We're going to keep moving for now. Not only is the gospel a comfort, but there's also a call to the gospel. And so, again, in Romans chapter 8, you notice in verses 12 through 17, uh, the call of the gospel is that we will live differently. Notice, for instance, verses 12 and 13, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It actually says in verse 12 that we're debtors. It's like we owe it to God to live this way. Because He's forgiven us of our sins, because He's given us His Spirit, we must live this way. And so it's really a call to crucify the deeds of the flesh and to say yes to God's Spirit. And so it's kind of the two ways we could put it here. Number one, to say no to sin. We don't live according to the sinful nature any longer. And number two, to say yes to God's Spirit. We must accept our sonship. True sons of God are those who are led by the Spirit. It's really what it's all about, saying no to sin, saying yes to God. This is the calling of the gospel. And we're able to do it by the power of the Spirit. The goal then is that our heart be changed by the work of Christ that the gospel declares. 
And as this happens, the gospel promises of forgiveness and power will give people real hope for change. And the gospel would cause people to accept responsibility for their sin and to accept God's call to obey. So those are kind of our goals. As we bring the comfort of God's forgiveness, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the fact that we have his Holy Spirit, we have the power to do what is right. As well as the call that says, okay, now live right. The goal is that people would have hope. I really can change. They'd accept responsibility for their sin. Yes, Jesus really had to pay for what I did. And they're ready to obey. Okay, I have the Spirit. I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to live for Him. Any questions on that? Maybe you can remember a time when God has used the Scriptures in your life to help you see your sin. Uh, maybe there was a scenario or a situation where you really didn't think there was a problem, there was anything that was wrong, uh, and then the scriptures were opened, right? Maybe that was in a personal conversation. Maybe that was in a, a sermon on a Sunday. Maybe it was in a Sunday school lesson. Maybe it was in a Bible study or just in your own personal devotions. And uh, you opened the Word of God and you read the verses of Scripture. I used earlier the verse in Ephesians chapter 4. Um, I know it well because it's convicted me many times. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4. These uh, verses talk a lot about our communication. And verse 25, he begins, Therefore putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And going on, you get to a verse like verse uh, 29, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And those verses have often been used in my life by the Lord as I reflect on conversations I've had or words I've said to people, and these verses come to mind, and I begin to process what I said through the grid of Scripture, right? And you get phrases like, uh, speak the truth, put away lying. And it's just this straight, clean-cut, flat-out way of looking at it, and you realize, oh, I had this strange justification for how it was okay for me to say this, but when you put it that way, it was wrong and it needs to be dealt with. Or you come to verse 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth for what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. That phrase especially. Did my words impart grace to the hearers? Ew. <laughs> nope, I was tearing down. And sure, I had it justified in my head that they deserved to hear it that way, uh, but that's not what the verse says, right? And so the scriptures really, really help. They're this beautiful mirror uh, that help us to see our sin, and God uses that to convict us. At the same time, Ephesians 4, 32, or Ephesians 4 doesn't leave us hanging, right? Because we go on to get to verse 32, and it says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. It's as if Paul, having come through these super convicting verses, knew we would need to be reminded that God has forgiven us in Christ. And so the gospel is right there as well in a beautiful passage like this. Not only can I be convicted that my words need to be honest, they need to be imparting grace, and I've messed that up, but I have a God who is ready to forgive me. Father, I don't want to speak that way anymore. Forgive me of my sin. 
help me to speak more like you tell me to speak. And uh, God uses his word to help us to grow and change. And the gospel gives us the power to do that. All right, you can probably think of situations like that in your own life where God has used the word to open your eyes and to help you to change. And, uh, and so that's the goal. So what I want to do uh, as we prepare to close, I'm going to go through the big question and our final CPR stuff. I'll go through these fairly quickly. And we're going to come to some prayer requests uh, that I'll leave up on the screen. And uh, you can kind of add that to your prayer list as we pray, pray at the end excuse me, pray at the end tonight. There are prayer requests that help us to put into practice what we've seen uh, in this lesson. So big question, is the gospel central when you speak the truth to somebody? Am I just speaking law or am I preaching forgiveness and hope and power to change purchased by the gospel? Thinking about this, uh, first of all, the concepts. The purpose of confrontation is twofold to help people see what God wants them to see, and to lead them to repentance. As we speak truth to people, we must not only bring the law to them, but also the gospel as well. And it's the hope of Christ's forgiveness and the promise of his presence that draws us out of hiding towards confession and repentance. Romans 2.4, do you not know it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance? If you want to encourage people to repent, it's not by your anger. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We do so by the kindness of the gospel. We compel people to turn back to God. Personalized, this means we must ask ourselves, do I confront others as an ambassador or do I tend to advance my own opinion? Number two, am I zealous to comfort and encourage people with the gospel? And number three, is my life shaped and directed by the comfort and the call of the gospel? Finally, as we think about related to others, do I look for opportunities to motivate people with the truths of the gospel, or do I just try to use my manipulative tactics? Is it love for God that I encourage people to be motivated by, or is it just for me? Do I look for opportunities to function as one of God's instruments of seeing, helping people see their sin? My favorite is Nathan the prophet with David in the Old Testament, right? Now, we give Nathan a lot of credit. Actually, God gave Nathan the words to say there and said, you know, don't feel bad if you haven't had many Nathan moments. Uh, turning to the scriptures is a great way to do that in present day life because just as Nathan had God's word for David, so too we have God's word for our lives. Uh, but what a, what a helpful opportunity to get David to see his sin. Number three, in moments of confrontation, do I want people to agree with me or turn to God? That is such a revealing question. So many times, I want them to see how bad they hurt me. I want them to understand what I went through. That's not the goal. The goal is that they be reconciled to God. And when we come with the gospel, we actually can be excited to call them to peace with God and not make them pay for their sin knowing that Jesus paid for their sin, right? So these are really, really crucial things to think about uh, as we help others see their sin. What if they're believers? Yes, so as believers, the call is even stronger, not just to be reconciled to God the first time, but now that you've been forgiven, you've cleansed of all your sin, why would you live in your sin any longer, right? It's Paul's argument in Romans 6, for instance. 
We've died to sin. Why should I live in it any longer? And so we still need to reconcile in terms of fellowship with God, right? We're already at peace with God with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, but we need to walk in fellowship. And if I'm choosing to sin, I've got my back turned to God. And so I still need to repent and turn to face him again uh, and, and walk in fellowship with God. So yeah, for believers, the call is just as strong based on the gospel to... Gotcha. Yeah. So Maria's question is, how do you discern with believers when to go and speak to them and when to just kind of let love cover it and let it go and let, let the Holy Spirit convict it when the time comes? And that's a good discernment question. I kind of think he gets into that next chapter. I don't know for sure. Um, the question that's been helpful to me is, would it be loving and helpful to them for me to say something? Uh, and so sometimes it's more loving and helpful to just let love cover it and let them grow when the time comes. They're not, they're not injuring other people with that sin right now. They're not, they're not causing a lot of damage, a lot of harm. And so I can just bear with this one for now. Other times it's helpful for them and for others for me to say something because the hurt is still going on. They're hurting other people with their sin and they're continuing to sin against God and, you know, this needs to stop. Um, so... Sometimes that helps uh, just to ask that question. Is it loving and helpful for me to say something for them and for others around them? You know, is the sin still going on? Was it just a one-time thing? So on and so forth. Some of those questions are helpful to discern. Yeah, good question though. Mm -hmm. All right, so here are your prayer requests. First, that we would have hearts that are controlled by the gospel. That we would be winsome representatives of the gospel message, that we would be instruments that God uses to communicate the gospel, and that our lives would give visible evidence to the power of the gospel. Can people see in me that I've been changed by the one who died for me and rose again, and that I'm repenting of my sin, as people pointed out to me? I humbly accept uh, rebuke and confrontation because I know, I know there's one who had to die for me, and so I'm not going to pretend like I'm not a sinner, and uh, I'm going to rely on his power to change and to do what is right. Um, are our lives defined by the gospel? So these would be great things to add to your prayer time as you pray in groups tonight. Again, you have your caring posts with the requests that we have shared. And uh, we have till 8.15. You can pray longer, but 8.15 is when the uh, kids get done. And so those of you who need to pick up your kids, just keep an eye on that. But otherwise, find some friends to, uh, to pray with. And uh, that'll be it for tonight. Any other questions before we close? Yes. Yes. Yeah, like the process he mentioned in the book, step one is look at, look at your own heart. So if I've seen something, it's usually not the time to confront it. Let's, let's think about it, pray about it, search my own heart, and then, and then, yeah, maybe come back at a later time when it's more appropriate. So good, good. All right, very good. We'll go to prayer. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit our website, mbcgrimes.org. May the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and to God be the glory.